So uh, this morning we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. You can find this passage on page 884 in the Pew Bible. I'll also bring it up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is the, this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only, only a visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So everybody knows the frustration of not being able to understand something. You're standing there and, and, and the person in front of you is speaking the same language, but whatever they're saying is not clicking. It's not making sense. That's, that's Eric first semester at seminary, just so you know. That was me standing there speaking English, but I got no idea what they're saying. They read a lot more books uh, before they got here than I did. There in, but, uh, but sometimes it can feel like that in our faith. There are parts of the Bible that we may not be able to make heads or tails of. We just, we just, we're beating our heads against the text and we just don't know what it is, right? 
Um, Martin Luther, you know, tongue in cheek, said he would, you know, he would beat the meaning out of the text. <laughs> That's how hard he would exegete, right? There are circumstances also in our lives that boggle our minds as to the Lord's purpose, especially in circumstances of affliction and suffering. Well, here we have some disciples who are mere just days out from the death of Christ, from the most important event in the Christian faith, and even the resurrection of Jesus. And they just don't get what's going on. It doesn't make sense to them. And so what does God do when his people, his own disciples, cannot make sense of the things around them, even the most important things of their faith? What we see here is that the Lord helps us to understand both the nature of the gospel and also the Lord's attitude towards his church. A church which we must admit often doesn't understand what God is up to. Even when we think we do, we don't. And as disciples, we just don't get, get it. But what we see in this text is that even when we as his disciples don't get it, Jesus draws near to us, Jesus instructs us, and Jesus opens our eyes. And we'll see each of those this morning. In verses 13 through 16, we see how Jesus draws near to us, to his confused disciples. And what we are witness to in these verses is what I'm calling a journey of unbelief that is interrupted by Jesus. A journey of unbelief that is interrupted by Jesus. Two of the disciples who were not of the original 12, uh, belonging to the, the larger group of unknown disciples, were headed out of Jerusalem to a, a village called Emmaus, and they call it, that's why they call it the Emmaus Road. It's the road to Emmaus. We don't know where the village of Emmaus is. There's a lot of it, it's speculation at this point, except to say that uh, when you translate the ancient measurements, it's about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. That's what our English texts say. Uh, and... Um, now, it's normal for people to be walked together, especially for the men to walk together um, when they're walking back from the Passover celebration. And to pass the time, you don't have the radio, right? You don't have, nobody has smartphones, so what do you do? You talk. You talk to each other as you, as you go through. Imagine that, talking to people that are with you in your vicinity today. Um, but they're not, they're not just passing the time. They, these guys are trying to process what in the world has just happened in Jerusalem. Now, I refer to this journey as a journey of unbelief because as they are obviously aware of Jesus' crucifixion, um, they, are, they are aware also of the empty tomb and the report from the women that Jesus is alive based on the testimony given to them by the angels. And yet, they're going home. Apparently, they do not believe this. They don't understand it. They don't fully comprehend it. They don't, I would say, if, if they could put it into words, I think they would say, we don't know what to believe. We don't know what is going on. And while they're talking, somebody sneaks up next to them and jumps into their conversation. And don't you love it when someone does that? You're halfway through a complex conversation. Someone says, what y'all talking about? Right? And you're like, 
I can't, I can't restart this, okay? Like, I just, all right, you're going to have to wait, okay? Now, this was also normal, though, because you would be traveling in groups. It was safe, and so strangers would hop into the conversations, and you would talk, and you would talk. And so, uh, and so it was normal that nobody was offended. But we also were told by Luke that this is no ordinary stranger. This is actually, in the Gospel of Luke, the first recorded appearance of Jesus after his resurrection, and so, and so, and so this, that's significant because Luke is, this is, the, this is where Luke wants us to see Jesus first showing up. Luke has a plan here. He has a point in how he's organizing his narrative. And so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is interrupting this journey of unbelief with his disciples. And Jesus often does this with us. If we are Christians, if we came to faith uh, later in life, uh, especially, um, then, then we know what it is to have our own journey of unbelief interrupted by Jesus in a big way. Jesus pursues his people by his word and spirit. He will not let one of his elect perish. And as, as the good shepherd, as he said, as the good shepherd, he, he gathers in the sheep. He gathers, gathers us in even if we're wandering off. And here he goes chasing after two disciples that seem to be wandering off into the hills. And this raises the issue of the nearness of God and the dullness of our own hearts. Because I don't want to get down on these disciples. As their words reveal, they, they, they respected, honored, and loved Jesus. They believed that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. They just couldn't understand the kind of Messiah that he actually was. You know, it's interesting as I try to read commentaries uh, that span the centuries. There's always wisdom. C.S. Lewis said, you know, when you're reading books, you should, like, every third book should be at least 100 years old. <laughs> so, just so you can get wisdom. And it, it is interesting, though, when you read commentaries, like modern commentaries and, and, and older commentaries, uh, the, the commonalities of thought that you'll find that will rise up in there. And so, for instance... Um, both in Matthew Henry's and J.C. Ryle's commentaries on this passage, both of them pointed out something that modern commentators rarely talked about, which was how good it is to discuss the things of Christ with your brothers and sisters. How good it is to discuss the things of Christ with your brothers and sisters, especially when you're confused. And further... Um, though Jesus does reprove the dullness of their hearts and, and their faith, he does draw near to them. That's why I love that phrase that, that Luke uses. He draws near, even when they are unable, or in this case, prevented from recognizing him. And we must consider ourselves. The times when we are struggling mightily in our faith, when we do not understand the ways of our Lord, we can't see the through line of the events. We need to remember that Jesus is nearer than we think. Jesus is nearer than we feel. Just as David told us in Psalm 23, how the, how the good shepherd, the Lord is with us in the darkness of the valley, even though it may be too dark to see him. He is there with his rod and his staff to protect and guide us through and out of the valley, and into the light of day. The bottom line here is that even when the hearts of Jesus' own disciples are dull and unable to see him in the midst of, the, of confusion, 
in their confused faith, Jesus draws near to his disciples in compassion and in his goodness. Secondly, we see that Jesus instructs us. He instructs his confused disciples in verses 17 through 27. And Jesus addresses here what we can only call dashed hopes and confused faith. The men being divinely prevented from recognizing Jesus were shocked when Jesus asked what they were talking about. Um, You can see how they felt in Luke's description here. They just stood there looking sad. Older translations say they stood there looking glum. Then Cleopas asked a question that we can only kind of smile at the supreme irony at because uh, he responds with a question of, oh, no, have you been living under a rock that you don't know what's been going on here? And, and, and as he explains what's been going on, the irony is so just dripping out of his, uh, out of his, his explanation because he thinks he knows what's going on. But the guy he's talking to and explaining to actually knows what's going on. Far better than he does. Not only are they speaking to the man himself, but further, Jesus understands the truth and significance of not only the cross, but of the empty tomb. But the men express their confusion at everything that has occurred. Jesus of Nazareth, the great prophet who clearly had come from God, had been, had been killed by the Jews, the leaders, and crucified. And, and on top of that, that was confusing enough because messiahs aren't supposed to die like that. And on top of all that, now we have the report from the women who are with us, who are truthful women, that they saw angels at, at an empty tomb, and they're saying he's alive. And we did confirm the tomb's empty, but we, nobody's seen Jesus, so we don't, we don't know. We don't know what's going on. Again, it's not so much that they don't believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. They just don't know what to believe. What they thought, their expectations about who the Messiah was have been completely dashed. So now what, now what do you do? They're bewildered. They're spinning in circles. They thought Jesus was the Messiah who would bring redemption to Israel, that he would cause Israel to triumph over Rome and, and to establish uh, the glory of Israel in the world, that it would be the place to which the nations would be drawn and, and, and you know, in, in, in the ways of David and Solomon, but even better. Just like the prophets promised. And so their hopes uh, were dashed, their faith is confused. And in the face of that, Jesus offers a loving reproof. It is a reproof that Jesus, um, uh, because, because Jesus does call them foolish. He calls them slow of heart to believe. And that's got to hurt uh, coming from Jesus. But he, notice he doesn't condemn them for it. He simply corrects them. He gives them the truth. The word of God in the flesh corrects his disciples with the word of God from the scriptures. And what they they learn is that they had been taught, not totally wrongly, but incompletely about the Messiah. Indeed, the Messiah would bring about a new age of glory, but not in the way that they had assumed. In fact, as Jesus said, it was necessary that is required for the Christ to suffer all these things and to enter into the glory uh, uh, via the resurrection 
Luke tells us here that Jesus began with Moses and all the prophets, interpreting in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Moses would be referring to the the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And the prophets, in the the Hebrew uh, Jewish understanding, the prophets include what are called the former prophets and the latter prophets. We call the former prophets the historical books. But those are called called the former prophets. They're all called the prophets. And then the third part is the writings, which uh, which Luke doesn't mention. But we can rightly assume that Jesus did speak from the Psalms as well. But every reader of Luke at this point asks this question. Luke, you had one job. Why did you not write the sermon down? In fact, there's even speculation that Luke was the other unnamed disciple on the road. But, but now we have the greatest sermon never recorded <laughs> before us. In fact, the, the, the sermon today is entitled, it's a play on a, a comedy song uh, called, a, 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 called The Greatest Song in the World, Tribute which tells a silly story about two men who are on a road and get challenged to play the greatest song in the world impromptu or they're going to lose their souls and their lives. And you guess what? They did it. They played the greatest song ever played in the entire world right off the top of their heads. The problem is they just couldn't remember it afterwards, so they wrote this song as a tribute to that song. But they promised you they totally did it. Okay. Well, Jesus did actually give these men what has to be the greatest sermon in the world. The greatest exposition of the scriptures never recorded. Only these two men heard it. And for whatever reason, Luke did not get it from them. And for whatever reason, the Lord in his wisdom did not inspire that to be part of our New Testament. But there are important implications of this uh, this for us. First, What Luke wishes to make plain to us is that Christ's death and resurrection were not a tragic accident that God made, you know, he, you know, he made lemonade out of lemons. But it was divine necessity and his plan to accomplish the redemption of his people. Second, for these men and even for us today, it was clearly more important to hear from Jesus than for them to see him with their eyes. I mean, think about that. You would think for Jesus' disciples, the most important thing would be for them to see him. And yet, apparently, according to the wisdom of Jesus, according to the wisdom of the Father, according to the wisdom of the Spirit, which we trust, the most important thing was them to hear the scriptures and the teaching from Jesus rather than recognize him on the road. And what is more necessary for us today than hearing the exact words that Christ used to interpret the Old Testament is for us to receive the principle that the Old Testament is all about Jesus. J.C. Ryle said how full of the Old Testament, how full the Old Testament is of Christ. Jesus continues to uh, issue this loving reproof to us today. He reproves us for often being foolish and slow of heart to believe all the promises of God. For they are many, and those promises are powerful, and they are true. 
He does this by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the Word, as we read it, as we hear it preached, as we ponder it and meditate upon it in our hearts day and night. He calls us to faith. Just I always I always get that picture of um, there was a uh, preacher hundreds of years ago named Hugh Martin and he and and uh, and he wrote about I just never read the Gospels the same after I read what he wrote about them is that when he says when when you're reading the Gospel in like Matthew nine and Jesus goes to uh, he goes to the, the the lame man who cannot walk. And he says, get up and walk. He says, he is talking to you. He's talking to us. Not back then. He's speaking to us right then. The Holy Spirit speaking to us in the moment we read it. To get up and walk. To get up and to walk in faith. And to follow the Lord. And so he continues to reprove us. To correct us. To instruct us. And let us then, like these disciples, walk in the wisdom of our master, to hear his instruction, to see him in all of Scripture, that we may have our hearts and souls enlarged in the love of God. But to be clear, this is not simply a matter of having enough scriptural knowledge. It's not a matter of increasing our head knowledge of of biblical content. For we see here that just as Jesus instructs his disciples, he also opens the eyes of his disciples in verses 28 through 35. And it's it's so interesting how we see Jesus here in the supper, in the breaking of bread. Now, Jesus, we have to be clear, he wasn't uh, tricking his disciples. He wasn't playing a prank on them. It would uh, it's it customarily it would be rude to uh, just turn and be like, hey, can I stay at your house tonight? Um, it's it was normal to if you're continuing to a destination to continue going to that destination and for the someone else to offer you hospitality it was incumbent upon them to do that. And they did. And uh, and so uh, and so they invited him to come stay with them and they and he did so. And now it didn't really matter what hour you would you would arrive uh, it was customary that when you got off the road, because it was assumed that everybody was hungry. And so when you would get off the road, you, the, the ver- at minimum, you would break bread together. That's the, that is the, the minimal thing that you would do. And so they sat down, and, and, and now Jesus does, uh, and perhaps it's because of the authoritative teaching that he gave on the road, he takes the role as host, even though it's not his house. And he takes the bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it. And as soon as he does, the eyes of the disciples are opened. They recognize him, and he vanishes from their sight. And while to vanish from their sight can metaphorically mean that he ran away as fast as he could, it is more understood that uh, Jesus' resurrection body is capable of interacting spatially with the world in in ways that ours cannot. But note what the men said then. Once their eyes were opened, What's their eyes open? Says their, they said their hearts burned when Jesus was near them, speaking with them on the road, particularly when he opened up the scriptures to them. Their hearts were burning with them. 
but they couldn't make sense of it until the Lord opened their eyes. And so it remains true that we can hear all the sermons in the world, even the greatest sermon ever not recorded from Jesus, and you still won't get it. You could hear the best sermon from Jesus himself, and you still won't get it unless he gives you eyes to see and ears to hear. And that's what Jesus does for his people. Salvation is not a matter of proper spiritual education, although our faith has content. It has definition. It has propositions. But, it is, but salvation is not a matter of proper spiritual education, proper knowledge, or proper technique. We must have our eyes opened by Jesus. And further, we may add that we, we do indeed apprehend Jesus with eyes of faith whenever we take the supper in communion. When we break the bread, when we take the wine, what do we do? We see Jesus in the supper. And then we see all, how this act of worship, that, that this act, this, that seeing Jesus, what, how it affected them. Because is there, their eyes were opened by Jesus. And as we see, open eyes lead to open mouths. The disciples, upon discovery that they have encountered the risen Lord, rushed to Jerusalem to tell the remaining 11 disciples that they had indeed seen the risen Lord. This was the confirmation. We've seen him. And in Luke, we have here the, the effect of seeing the risen Christ. Uh, that what, what does that do to them? What, is it, what happens when Jesus opens the eyes of his disciples to apprehend them, to make sense of all the scriptural teaching that they have had, where, where now, looking back, it makes sense. Now it happens, right? I mean, how many, um, you know, it's, so, some of you, this is your story. You know, um, how many of you heard the gospel many times before you believed it? How many of you understood the basic propositions of the gospel before it finally connected and you believed it well what happened did you get new knowledge no it's it's the lord opened the eyes of your heart and this leads the disciples now to open their mouths to share the truth of the risen lord and when jesus opens our eyes to the truth of his resurrection he also opens our mouths to share the wonderful truth of his grace with others. Here is the message as summarized, uh, you know, um, by, by in 1 John. What's the message that they carry when he says this is what we bring? He says, we're not reporting rumors. We're giving to you simply what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched. We are eyewitnesses. We're telling you this is what we saw. We've seen the risen Lord. He is all that he said he was. And that means he will do all that he has promised. And so as we look back on this, on the greatest sermon ever told, we can only make educated guesses as to exactly what Jesus said to those disciples on the Emmaus Road. But what he did give them, he gave to his church. 
a call to search the scriptures to see how they speak of Christ, what they reveal about him. But let us all remember that we must have Jesus open our eyes to the truth for it to do any good for us. And so this is that kind of thing where it's like we have this modern Western impulse to want to boil it down to the simple, simplest thing possible. We're like, okay, so do I need instruction from the scriptures, the truth of the scriptures, or do I need Jesus to open my eyes? It's the wrong question. Yeah, yes. You need both. Because if he opens your eyes, what's he opening your eyes to? And then also, if, if, if all you have is just words on the page, well, that's all they are. And, and we know that the devil knows the, the, the Bible better than we do. So it doesn't do him any good. So, uh, so you need both. And so we can't, it's not just, oh, well, good. I don't have to read my Bible. I just got to sing, you know, G, open the heart, eyes of my heart, Lord, every, you know, every day. That's not how it works. We need Christ to open our eyes and our hearts to the truth. We need him to expand our minds and our hearts to receive the truth of his word. That's why we pray before we read God's word on Sunday. We pray for the reading and the preaching of his word. Why? Because we need God to enable us to, our, to illuminate our minds. Historically, it's, been, it's called the prayer of illumination. It's, it, we need God to open our minds uh, to the truth of his word that we may comprehend it even as Christians, as believers. I mean, I know you, you saints who have been around for a long time, been in the faith for a long time, you've never learned anything new. Right. You, you had all the knowledge when you came in. We're not prepared for it all. We're not ready for it all. We need to be opened up not only incrementally over time, but also through life, through experiences that humble us. That teach us to depend upon God. That lead, lead, teach us to depend less upon the world. But let us, and all of us, never despair. If we find ourselves on the road as confused and bewildered disciples, remember we would be shocked to find how near Jesus is to us. He's there to us to correct us, reprove us, to be sure, but to truly enliven our hope by showing us that he is indeed the true Messiah who has come to bring life and life to the full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even when we are confused, bewildered on the road of life, when we are laden with sorrows and grief, when we are distracted by the world in the throes of of sin that Jesus yet will draw near. He will yet draw near to correct us, to reprove us for our dullness of heart, our slowness to believe, but he does not abandon us. He does not leave us. He does not forsake us because he has laid down his life for us. He is our shepherd caring for the sheep with his nail-pierced hands, his wounded side. He bears the wounds of our redemption. 
And so, Lord, we pray that you would meet us today, that Jesus would draw near to us today, that he would correct us wherever we're at, that he would open our eyes through the word to see Christ in all of Scripture, that we may comprehend him rightly. But may you, Lord, open our eyes to your truth that we may receive it. The great truth that Jesus is the risen Lord. And that we would live in light of that freedom and goodness and glory. Forsaking sin, pursuing holiness, the kingdom and righteousness. Just as our Lord instructed us. May you lead us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's.